Bill Gates on a train. Oh, this and more. It's This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Spectrum Spectacular. Windows on the buffers. The three Bowsers and no, you Nintendon't. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. Dave, it's you, it's me, it's Valentine's week. It's so a romantic this week in retro special. No, it's not. No, no, you're not no. feeling the romance. I, I'm feeling the, I'm feeling the, the, the tension between us, yeah, Neil. Oh, but, uh, but not. I don't think we've picked romantic stories, have we? Not, not that kind of tension. Just, just general tension. Because we yeah. don't really like each other, do we, Dave? <laughs> do we do. We do. Well, we're we going to have to because. It's just it's just you and me this week. This is the first I know, I know. first show of just you and I. Yeah. And Chris. Chris Just the um, two of us. Sipping a Forex, shrimp on yeah. the Barbie, listening to us. Making castles in the sand. Not playing games. Uh so hi Chris, hope you're well. Hanging out with Wolf. Whatever Chris does now. <laughs> hanging out with Wolf's legs. <laughs> hanging out with Wolf's legs. <laughs> Knees up. Oh. Um Yeah. How's your week been? My week's been good. Um, we're actually doing things a bit differently today because uh, we're filming in the evening. We normally film in the morning. It's all my fault because I've got the plasterer in. Uh, Which is not a euphemism. No, no. Um, and he was in early getting started. So uh, we've had to push this back to the evening, which feels a bit different. It feels unusual. I'm, I'm, yeah. I feel a bit more awake than normal. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but yeah, it's been a good week. I had a really good weekend, really good Saturday. The cave continues to sell r- tickets really well. So we're getting a fantastic atmosphere every Saturday. And um, all the half-term dates are up again, and that's selling well. So I'm looking forward to the the kids coming because that's always really fun. Excited kids. I would They don't really run between the museums. They go supervised in a calm fashion between the arcade and the cave and get to enjoy as much as they can in two hours, which is nowhere near enough. So mm. they always go wanting more, uh, and they seem to be coming back. So I'm looking forward to those sessions. Had the interview with Jordan Mechner over, it must have been nearly two hours, edited down to about an hour and a half. It's a it's a long, long interview, but I really tried to not ask that question. Tell me about rotoscoping, because he's been asked these questions oh. so many times. It's a, just... it's a good question. It's an interesting story. It's fascinating how he did it. But, yeah, it's been done so many times. Now, that, that should be public by the time this is broadcast. Oh, it will be. Yes, yeah. yes. So patrons yeah. are watching it now. Yeah. Um, it'll be public, and hopefully people enjoy it. I, I mean, I always say to you, Dave, they're not the most popular videos on the channel, but they're some of my favourite, and it just feels like you're capturing a little bit of history talking to these old developers. Yeah, they, they, they're some of my favourite episodes. Those in the Trash to Treasures. I think everybody likes the Trash to Treasures. But uh, th- th- these interviews are uh, because you I, 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 you don't blow your own trumpet, but I'll do it for you. Um, you spend a great deal of time doing research before it. You don't just ask the soft questions that they get asked by everyone else. Sometimes I'll watch a video of an interview of someone. I'll think they just get they just it's like hitting play and get the last interview they did on on again. So you do you do put the effort into it, and it does show. Thank you, Dave. You go. Anyway, this is this week in retro. This is not. All about me. Um, so tell me about your weekday. What have you been up to? I've been buying Ataris. Oh, right. Okay. Which ones? I bought a 2600 plus and I bought an 800 XL. Um, now tell me, where are you going to use your 2600 plus? Because this is the modern one with the uh, HDMI output. Where I've are you going to plug it? Two choices. Either plug it in to the, the TV, the, the Sony Trinitron CRT I've got, um, oh, okay. where Mr. plugs in. Uh, or probably I'm going to put it in the living room, into the living room telly. Is that sort of breaking a taboo? Do you have retro in other parts of the house, or do you do you restrict it to that room you're in now? I used to have retro in other parts of the house. Okay. This isn't retro, this is modern. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, no, it is retro, because it's not vintage. Oh, yes, yeah, so it is. Yeah, it's yeah. retro. Sorry, yeah. It's not, so it's, it's not an old machine. It's a brand new one. Uh, it'll go in the living room, I think. I think the living room. Um, and I, I hope to get in a position where I can just grab it and start playing rather than having any kind of kerfuffle to get it out. 
Nobody um, likes a kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. We said <laughs> Kajigoo last week. Today's word of the week is kerfuffle. What a kerfuffle. Um, and an 800XL, have you learned all of the different key presses down the right-hand side? So there's I'm one not plugged in yet. It's only just arrived. Um, okay. It was, um, you, you know, the, the guy that sold it, uh, Warren Brown from Future. Oh, yes, um, it was. Yeah. yeah, he was having a bit of a clear out. It is in immaculate condition. Oh, if it's I mean, come from Woz, there won't be a speck of dust on it. It's it's so well preserved. It, it looks new and the matching drive for it as well. Um, it's going to replace with the Commodore 64. Um, oh, controversial. Yeah, and eventually, eventually, they'll get room to have them both out. But for now, it's going to replace the Commodore 64. It's um, the 800XL. I've been learning more and more about it. it it's strange. It, it, for no reason, it just kind of faded away. Um, other than I think the Commodore 64 was cheaper and people bought that instead. But yeah, for no reason, it seemed to fade away. Perhaps because it was based on the, you know, it goes back to the 400, was it 1979 that came out? Um, So people perhaps looked a little bit down their nose at it going, it's based on a much older machine. I don't know. I don't don't remember what the sentiment was at the time because it wasn't a particularly popular computer. No, it was, it, it, it was fairly high spec, though. I mean, it was it was very competent. Better it was, graphics but maybe and it just had it, that yeah. sort of stigma attached to it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, my only tip for you on that is uh, there are certain buttons you can hold down when you turn it on so it doesn't load the basic, so it frees up a bit more memory, and some games need that. So um, just be aware of that. Yeah. Oh, and okay. play Yump. 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 Fantastic game. Anyway, um, we're waffling. Let's get into the stories, <laughs> shall we? Many years ago, before I got into retro, I used to look down on the ZX Spectrum. It's perhaps easy to see why. It's cheap. The build quality isn't great. It's quite simple and basic, and game screenshots look poor, especially compared to my beloved CPC. Now, these days, of course, I won't hear a bad word said about this, Becky. It's great. I mean, it's absolutely a marvel of engineering to get something that low cost into millions of people's hands that wouldn't have got anything if it wasn't for the Spectrum. But before we go on today's uh, specking news, Neil, are you of the same opinion or have you always seen the appeal of it? What do you mean the screenshots looked poor? When I looked at the screenshots on the back of a specky game, they looked arcade perfect, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they might not have been when you loaded them up, but they looked arcade perfect yeah, because yeah. they were screenshots of the arcade. Anyway, <laughs> as a kid, yeah, I had friends who had Spectrums. I never thought of the specky back then as being cheap or even less capable. It was just a different device, and I would enjoy it. Um, I would enjoy at, at the friends' houses who owned the Spectrum. Games were fun to play. Uh, there wasn't really a class divide of any sort. It wasn't a case of spectrums are for the poor because they're cheap. Or Friends of all backgrounds had spectrums. Um, the appeal was that a lot of people had them. Lots of software was available. Lots of friends could be made around owning one, swapping games and enjoying them. Now, like you, I had an Amstrad CPC. So my circle of Amstrad CPC friends amounted to about three, including myself. I was I was easily outnumbered by the specy owners. So that was a big part of the appeal. You know, I, I, I hesitate to say community because a lot of us were kids then. It was just it was just friends. Friends, a lot of friends had spectrums. I think um, I've said this before, but something strange happened in our street where everyone got an Amstrad for Christmas one year. So that's all anyone had. Oh, right. Even though you were, you know, near to the Spectrum factory, the Timex factory. Well, not really. It's Maybe not near. I was done Other, other side it? of the country. Scotland, Dave, Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, everyone knows everyone in Scotland. There's only four people here. As chance might have it, there's two stories submitted this week about the Specky. The first is a very short video. It's of a 48K Spectrum controlling an industrial robot arm. Uh, thanks, Indigo Prime. And if you're not watching the video version of our show, you're on the podcast, then imagine the kind of robot arm you'd see on an assembly line. The Spectrum's using a basic program along with an RS-232 expansion, a serial port, to control it. There's even a Sinclair rainbow on the side of the robot arm, and it's playing the operator at knots and crosses, although, of course, he's having to make both sets of moves. The second submission on the Spectrum is on ray tracing. And thanks to Unique Ask 2800. Now, we're probably used to seeing ray tracing these days on games like Doom Eternal and Cyberpunk 2077. It's a graphics technique which models the way that light reflects and it produces a much more realistic image. 
and in many cases, a particularly striking and beautiful one. Now, for years, it was a, a thing used for art or for showing computers off. Um, these days, though, graphics cards are powerful enough to boil water, uh, <laughs> but they can also do it live, giving us graphics that are more convincing and better than ever. I don't actually have a card that can do it, but I think, Neil, you do have a ray tracing card. Have you bothered to play a ray tracing game on it? I do. I have a GeForce RTX 3090, so that's sort of top end or high end of the last generation because we're into the 4000 series now. Um, have, I, have I used it? What did I play? RTX Portal played that, um, and RTX... Uh, there was a Doom, wasn't there? Wasn't there a Doom? Yeah, that, that's the Doom I mentioned, Doom Eternal. Oh, gosh, I should really listen to the words that you say at me, Dave. Um, yeah, played that. Enjoyed it greatly. Uh, it was... No, no, it wasn't that. It was Quake 2. There was an RTX. There was a Ray Trace Quake 2 I played, and I played that from start to finish. It helps the fact that Quake 2 is such a fantastic game and holds up. Um, it was nice to see it Ray Traced. Now, I didn't look at it and go, wow, this looks just like those Ray Traced renders I used to look at back in the day. I just played it and thought, yeah, it looks really cool. Um, you know, it's a nice looking game. Maybe my eye isn't tuned in enough to really spot it. But going back to the stories you were talking about, the robot arm, now robot arms, that's one of the top tier toys that we always wanted, wasn't it? Whether it was the standalone, there was a thing called um, the Armatron. Hello, Johnny's just joined us there. That's the Dot. Ar- oh, it's Dot. Sorry, Dot's getting so big now. Hello, Dot. Um, oh. The Armatron, are you familiar with the Armatron by Radio Shack? It rings a bell. Yeah, Is that a, a plasticky thing? Plasticky uh, toy with two little joysticks uh, and like a little nuclear waste yes. canister that you've got to make it pick yes. up. That's standalone. Um, so that that was kind of top tier. You'd look in the Argos catalogue, um, or sorry, Sears catalogue for our international audience or whatever catalogue it was. Uh, Radio Shack, perhaps. Maybe it was the Radio Shack catalogue. Maybe Radio Shack. Um, <laughs> but that didn't interface directly with your home micro, no. you know. That, that was totally standalone. Do you know Those what it did? The, do you know what it did? What did? The Valiant Turtle. I'll come on to that. I'll come on Are to you? that. I've, I popped that in my notes. Things that did interface with your, your computer, they were expensive and they seemed kind of like science fiction. This is long before Terminator came along and you saw his arm sinking into the molten steel, giving the thumbs up, which I thought was the coolest thing ever when I was a kid and not old enough to watch the movie, but we all watched it anyway. Um, so that was top tier. Then comes something like the Omnibot, a great big robot, which LGR actually covered recently on his channel. We've got one at the cave that greets people in the gift shop. I've I've had the last two episodes where my stories have been lists, and suddenly I'm making a list within your story, Dave. So I am sorry about that, but um, <clears throat> I'm not sorry. The Valiant Turtle I would probably put above Big Track, wouldn't you? I think so. I, I, I remember it. I remember being amazed by it. I don't think there was very much to do with the Valiant Turtle if you had it yourself at home, but seeing it at school and watching it watching it do that stuff was was amazing. Just yeah. the idea of typing something in the computer and have it happen in real life. Yeah, but you need a school gymnasium, a gigantic piece of paper, uh, a great big long cable to the turtle back to the BBC, uh, and then you can tell it to run your program and watch it. And the pen will come down in it. Most people listening, but just will know what this is, but just in case you don't. It was a robot that looked like a turtle that carried a pen, and you would use the command pen up to lift the pen, pen down to put it down, and commands like right 90 for to turn right 90 degrees forward 100 and then it was was there was there a command to work out where the pen was pen is maybe i can't remember now there must have been um but basically it, it taught you basic programming uh so you would tell it to draw a pattern and then you would tell it to loop and then 99% 99% of us would watch that happen on a screen. But if you were really lucky, your school had one of these physical turtles and, and it would draw it out on the gymnasium floor. Rich kids stuff, top tier stuff. Um, and then for most of us, we didn't get that. We got something like the Tommy Mr. Money, which was like a little money box and you'd put your coin in his hand and he'd gobble it up. Do you remember that? That, that was sort of the tier I was on. Um, or the dancing Coke can or the dancing flower. That was more early 90s, wasn't it? Which, incidentally, I looked those up this week because I thought I wouldn't mind putting some of them in the cave. £100, easy yeah. for each of those. More if you want one boxed. So that, that browser tab was quickly closed, but there you go. Um, so robots, ray tracing. Uh, you know, the buzz about it now is gaming, RTX cards, all seems very modern. Um, but ray tracing has been around forever, Dave. 
lovely guy, Ray. Had a bite with him just last week. But sorry, where's Chris to rein us in? Um, but yeah, the first ray traced image was produced by a chap called Arthur Appel in 1968. I'm probably saying that wrong. Appel, Appel. Um, and Apple. did he not um, make a computer? A P P E L. Close enough. But that him doing that was based on concepts which were far earlier. So the ZX Spectrum, thoroughly modern by those standards. It should be bashing out real-time ray tracing with ease, surely. Um, my, um, my first experience of ray tracing would have been on the Amiga, as would many of other people. There's the Juggler demo is, is the obvious one to shout out. Um, written by Eric Graham using Sculpt 3D, which I think he also wrote with the help of his wife, Catherine. Wasn't real-time ray tracing, of course. This was rendered. It was saved into a, a .anim file, I think it was, and played back. But it was stunning nonetheless at the time. Um, I can't say I remember seeing ray-traced teapots or jugglers on the specy. Did you, as an Atari ST man, did you have the equivalent of the ray-traced juggler? What did you have? Uh, we had ray-tracing demos. There was ray-tracing yeah. stuff from cover discs. And that allowed you to. I can't. I'm sure there was parameters you set, and then you would you would go away and come back a long time later, and it would have drawn it for you. Because there was but nothing it, about the Amiga that said, "Oh, I can ray trace in the SD can." It was pure rendering processing power. It yeah. didn't. Uh, what the Amiga could do was display that then in ham mode, a nice ham high resolution migraine inducing mode, unless you had a decent monitor. Um, but there was nothing to stop any other system, as is the case with the Spectrum. It's just. <laughs> Nobody was mad enough to make a ZX Spectrum do ray tracing. Well, now that someone has done it on Spectrum, I, I can't see if it's the first time. I want to say it's the first time, but I don't know. Um, but maybe um, it feels but, like it feels like it would have been tried. Yeah, it does. Uh, if, it, yeah. If you read the article on the register, though, you can see the detail increasing in each iteration, and with the final result. They've managed to turn three circles into three spheres with shading and depth. And the end result is that even for a, 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 the basic display of a, of a spectrum, you've turned something that, that really does look as if it's, it, it, it's, it's incredible what it does with dithering and all the rest of it on the screen because of it. It's amazing. Um, and I've done a bit, little bit of reading on it. I went down a little bit of a Wikipedia rabbit hole. And it's a concept first used in the 16th century from an artist in Germany called Albrecht Dürer. And then it got all sorts of complicated, too complicated for me, woodcuts and all the rest of it and diagrams. So I'm afraid I'm stuck in the 16th century. Um, I do remember the world on the ST. I remember there was something in the Amstrad that wasn't ray tracing. It was drawing a landscape. And it, it reminded me of that. You gave it parameters and the Amstrad would slowly draw this landscape. And it was really impressive. The ST did it with ray tracing with balls and spheres and mirrors and stuff. I mean, the Amiga had like Vista to draw landscapes, but that wasn't ray. I don't think that was ray tracing, was it? Sounds a similar kind of thing, though, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in my mind, the image was, it was almost more real than real. It looked as if these spheres were made of that, that kind of that, that lovely wet paint. You know, wet mm. paint has that really vivid, shiny texture to it. Um, amazing. And in modern gaming, though, it's happening at many frames per second. So while it does turn your PC into a space heater, it gives lovely results. And you may not notice the ray tracing when you're playing. It just helps you convince that things are real, more real than they were without it. Um, remember, though, you don't need to have a, a ray tracing GPU like Neil's to see it. If you want to see ray tracing in modern games, you can just look at a video on YouTube. <laughs> I was um, I was just looking up Vista Pro to see if it was a ray tracer, uh, and uh, it says Vista operates similarly to a ray tracer. <laughs> it doesn't say what it was. It just says it's similar to a ray in, tracer. In other words, it takes lots of time. It takes lots of time, yeah. <laughs> On a stock 68,000, it can take several hours to generate the landscape. I remember doing that. And the most famous use of it was in the opening credits of the chart show with a silver spaceship flying through a series of valleys. Do you remember that? The no. ITV chart show? Tell me about Babylon 5, though. I think you have to. Uh, is that the law? If you're going to talk about 
3D rendering in Amigas. Yeah. Did you know it did Babylon 5? I think it was only in the first series. That's the Atari comeback, isn't it? Yeah, but it was only the first series. The Humble Spectrum, though, took 17 hours to generate the final image. And although the specky image is amazing, it really is. Despite the low colours, it really is amazing. It's got depth to it. It's yeah, it does. And I also love that the final high quality render on the spectrum has colour clash, as you can see the attributes on the screen. Of course, it does. It's a specky. It's it's going to be there. There's no way for it not to be there, unless you're doing black and white or something. But I actually think that adds to the charm. You look at it and you and you you're in no doubt that's that's ray tracing on a ZX spectrum. I, I like that. So. Maybe what these two stories show is that the big leap was getting a computer into the hands of the masses, even if it's a really simple one, rather than all the leaps that have come since. During that story, I told you a command to use in the Valiant Turtle. What was that command, Neil? That command was pennies. Oh, yes. F- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know This Week in Retro is sponsored by who, Dave? Um, oh, what's that you've got there? It's a PCB way. It barely fits giant, on the screen. Giant flask, which is twice the size of my head. No, it's about the size of my head. Um, they sent me the they sent me their Christmas pack. Um, some Actually, some good stuff in it. So uh, the mouse mat is all sticky in the bottom, so it stays put. And, it's put, and there's a keyboard thing and this giant thing which will hopefully encourage me to drink more water which you're so pleased with yourself we've got a sponsor in pcb way and they've sent you all of the all of the the guff and you're you're loving it you're loving all of it yeah pcb way are a manufacturer who make um pcb ways of course ways ways of pcbs uh they'll, they'll do metal manufacturing metal 3d printing milling 3D printing, all sorts of things. Shared projects as well you can have a look at. Happy New Year to them as well. Happy Happy New Year. We're well into February, Dave. But, oh, well, Happy Chinese New Year, yes. Keep You're up, You're very Neil. quick today. You're very quick. Oh, okay. it's, it's the evening. This is it. We normally film in the morning. <laughs> Thank you very much for sponsoring us. Thank you, PCB Way, for uh, helping to make the show possible. PCBWay.com. Say it one more time, Dave. PCBWay.com. There we go. They'll pay us now. Yeah. <laughs> Legacy systems found to be running in unexpected places is always guaranteed to bring a smile to our old faces. And the latest example was posted to the subreddit by our friend Dr. Local. That's reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. It is that. Yeah, it is that. WWW is optional. Uh, Spotted this week in Germany was a job vacancy for their rail network. But the unusual part about this posting was that they want someone with Windows 3.11. That was uh, Windows for work groups, wasn't it? And MS-DOS experience. Windows 3.11 for work groups was released in November of 1993, making it 30 years old. Uh, That's right. My maths does add up, doesn't it? 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. 31 in November of this year. And the version of DOS isn't specified. So let's just say 6.2 as it came out September of that same year. Mm -hmm. I think 6.22 came out in 94. So it's going to be probably around about there. Now, the lucky employee, whoever that may be, will, according to the article on tomshardware.com, be in command of a system as powerful as a 166 megahertz PC with 8 megabytes of RAM. Can you imagine it, Dave, in 2024? For a for a system that ran Windows nine Windows three point one one that would be very powerful. It would be very powerful. Yeah, yeah. You'd be into Windows ninety five. Maybe. Oh yeah, ninety eight well, maybe on ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight would run comfortably in that. Um, cool. I mean, if you can retrace on a Spectrum, imagine what you can do on that kind of spec PC. So, uh, those in the know think Minesweeper. that it's Minesweeper. Yeah, um, <laughs> those in the know think that it's quite likely. Um, that these systems that they're talking about um, that are running things on the train network are probably not due to be retired retired until 2030. So they've still got six years to put in. Now, it's a classic case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But honestly, that's never a good case to make if it comes to business critical or public facing systems. If someone can hack it, if someone can put rude words on it, if someone can stream video to it, um they will find a way they will find a way they always do 
The article speculates that this is a customer information system, highly unlikely to be connected to the running of the trains. It's not confirmed, but I mean, I would hope that's the case. Um, and just in completely unrelated news this week as well, we had another story submitted uh, about Japan who have announced that you can no longer submit certain applications on floppy disk. In 2024, yeah, floppy disk, around 1,900 government application procedures stipulated that you had to submit your information either on a floppy disk or a CD-ROM. Even I mean, a CD-ROM's out of date. A CD-ROM. Yeah, I mean, who, yeah. Even, who even has a CD writer in their modern-day PC? I bet you anyone who's got a floppy disk has also got a CD writer, but not really many of both. Possible. But even if you've got a big tower PC these days, the whole front fascia is usually taken up by fans. Yeah. It's only fans, Dave. We covered this story back in 2022 when Japan forewarned the nation, but now the day has come and the sun has set on the floppy in Japan once and for all. So, um, yeah, Windows 3.1 on old trains, Floppy's being retired in Japan. It's it's a bit a bit of an odd question for us to ponder, Dave, given that we're using 30-plus-year-old systems daily for our own amusement. As far as I know, you don't run a rail network. You haven't bought up a rail network and privatized it up there in Scotland. Do, do, you, do they do that in Scotland? Are, are your train networks private in Scotland, or are they still public? They were, but I think they got taken back into public hands. Okay. After um, you were running them with Windows 3.1. Um, so what we do is in our own homes. <laughs> um, what do you make? What do you make of the story, Dave? German um, train running. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. If, in a closed system, then I think I could make. If forced, I could make a, an extremely compelling argument in favour of it. The systems are doing a job. It's not a multitasking job. It's not several applications at once. It's presumably no internet access, no updates, no decades of complications from Windows bloat, no having to keep up to date with an ever-changing ecosystem. The hardware is simple and it's easy to maintain. So you'll be applying for the job? <laughs> um, I don't speak German. Oh, yeah. Nine. Nine. Yeah, that could cause problems. Yeah, okay. On the other hand, are replacements easy to get? I think long after the original 486s and Pentiums were obsolete, there were plenty of small form factor and system on a chip around for retail and other point of sales. So is it easy to pick those up now and have spares? Probably. Um, the problem with being in modern systems, though, is that you need to stay on top of modern systems, and that means continually chucking away hardware to replace it. In those 30 years, you're looking at at least, what, six or seven different pieces of hardware for it and then updating windows and then something breaks because it, it's no longer got a dependency that was was obsolete um and it means updates exposing it to the internet incompatibility so i see the sense of drawing a line and saying no this this is fine and it makes sense for that and presumably when they replace the entire system then that's when they'll replace the software as well uh, sorry dave to interrupt you i was just thinking in terms of maintaining something like a windows 3.1 it really depends what it's interfacing with physically but if it's not really interfacing with much, it's very easy to virtualize that kind of system, to have snapshots, to revert back if something does go wrong. Um, like you say, there are not going to be updates it's, it, to, to mess it up. It's not going to go out on the internet. It's certainly not on the public internet. No way is that on the public internet. You've only got <laughs> to calling it put Windows XP on the internet, a fresh install of that, and it will be infected within minutes. It's it's not going to happen. So, you know, they've, they've got it locked down. Um, and it, uh, it obviously works. It obviously works. And I've I've maintained systems, uh, of, not on a train network, but I've maintained very old um, instances of DOS and Windows. Uh, I've spoken about it before, usually on CNC machines. Um, roller coasters, are the same thing. I didn't touch the roller coasters, no. <laughs> wasn't allowed near them. Um, in a bakery I've spoken about before, you know, and, and that was a virtualized uh, old mainframe system that was still being used on, on desktop PCs. So, yeah, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it with, with caveats, with caveats. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sad about the floppy disks. I am sad, but it, it has to happen. I mean, use a USB stick, email it in. Something like that has to happen. 
fax it. Does this mean that um, there's going to be a surplus of floppy disks in Japan? If they've been using them up to this point and they no longer need them, uh, they're going to offload their floppy disks? I wonder disks? how many they were actually using. If you had the option of using a floppy disk, does that mean people were using lots of them? I, I don't know. I mean, the ones that I bought from the US, remember we spoke to the guy at floppydisk.com. Mm-hmm. His name escapes me now, but um, he that's he, he gets them from businesses and then and then sells them to the, the the diminishing number of industries that are still using them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe he were buying them from Japan. Maybe maybe there's you know there's nothing there's nothing to stop a Japanese floppy disk working on uh, on any other machine. Assuming they're three and a half inch floppies, which I'm sure they mm. are. Um, yeah, and I think I re- remember when we spoke about this story before. We we talked about the fact that nobody was manufacturing them anymore. The last manufacturer, I think, was in Japan. Um, believe so yeah it was quite a long time ago we spoke about that story now but there we go just another example trains in germany running on windows 3.1 i mean running is a stretch utilizing windows 3.11 in some capacity probably to update something non-critical oh, like information boards boards. you get with a stopping at such and such and such and such that kind yeah. of thing something simple um, but important enough to employ someone yeah. to run it and look after it so uh, if anyone has any more information on this story, if anyone's applied for the job, I think the job listing has actually been taken down now, according to the report. I don't know if that's because they found someone or if it was drawing so much attention. Not sure. Maybe it drew too many applications. Imagine that. So if anyone's got the uh, the inside track on the German train story, sorry, Dave, please let us know because we need some scoops on this show, don't we, Dave? Yeah. Scoops, scoops yeah. will be good. Right, we need some informants. Yeah. People on the inside. Insider How do we find these people? Not insider trading, insider information. Do we need to go on the dark web to find these people? Where do we find them? I don't know. Can you do that from Windows XP? Hmm. We'll think on it. But if anyone wants to be an informant, just put a message on our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro and say... Uh, I don't know. I'm from Microsoft and I've got the inside information, whatever you want to tell us. I'm from the German train company. Anyway, going off track, Dave. You've done that joke. And that was a new jingle submitted by Bag of Spanners over on uh, Discord. So if you want to join other twirlers and cave dwellers, head to discord.gg forward slash RMC retro, where you can say hi to Bag of Spanners and others. And thank you so much for making that jingle. If anyone else wants to submit a jingle for Dave's briefs, please go ahead. Um, Stick it on the subreddit or stick it in Discord. And it's pretty much guaranteed to appear on the show. I mean, we had Hoffman's jingle last week, didn't we? Yeah, that, that's the standard you need to beat. <laughs> Dave, do you want to go over the stories in brief that haven't made the show this week? Yeah. But have, um, just in a reduced format. Seekanoid, we mentioned Seekanoid last week. It will go on sale on pre-order on Valentine's Day. So that's an ideal gift for your loved one. Um <laughs> telling them you've got a game that isn't there yet uh, on the 14th of February. Uh, link in the show notes. Um, new exciting Atari stuff. Thank you to Pajaco. So the 2600 plus launch was seems to be successful because they've now announced new products coming out for it. So the 2600 plus is a relaunch of the classic Atari VCS. It does take original carts. It's in a slightly smaller form factor. And inside, of course, it's a system and a chip running an emulator. But they've come up with three new carts for it. Now, it is, although it's a 2600, it's also compatible with 7800 carts so the three new carts are ninja golf food fight and fatal run and i don't know them too well other than having a quick look on youtube but they are well thought of games my first cart arrived the other day mr run and jump and how come i can order it and get it delivered the next day but there's still people waiting for their pre-order atari one sort that out um it's nice to get a big box for the cart, though. It's, it's nice to get it in your hand. And that's the whole point of that. So I'm pleased, it, Neil. I'm pleased that that's been successful, and I'm, I'm glad they brought out some new things for it, accessories, a new 7800-style gamepad, 
which I wonder if you need that for these these three new games because it's got two buttons. There's a pair of paddles for it as well, sold on their own, and they might be a worthwhile buy for things like Arkanoid and Mister and so on. I'll need to investigate. Um, don't don't so, forget yeah. the uh, the the optional D nine sorry DB nine they call it extension cable that Atari will sell you for ten pounds. I bought two. Ten dollars, sorry, ten dollars. Yeah, did you spend ten dollars or did you buy them for three pounds elsewhere? <laughs> I bought them for twenty quid on Amazon. In the, the hope the that actual Atari, Atari ones. The actual uh, Atari ones. I'll buy anything that's got Atari oh, on it. Dear, dear. I'm dead excited by it. It's nice to buy something that's new. Hey, so long as it makes you happy. Yeah, that's all that matters. Um, something that makes me happy is Amigathon today. Not the time of recording today. The time that this show is going out is the annual Amigathon. This is our friends, including John, boat of Carshawla. That's John who started the podcast three years ago with me. It's his annual charity stream where they raise money for the Children's Miracle Hospital by playing on an Amiga all day. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Details are in the show notes. So um, when you're done here, go go and go and join them. It may well have started by the time you've listened to this. Is it over on Twitch, Dave, that they do it? Or is it on Twitch? YouTube? And it might even be on YouTube as well as yeah. Twitch, but certainly Twitch. So whatever you're doing with your day, get them on in your ears. Um, thanks to our very own Duncan, actually, for reminding of this. Uh, starts at 8 a.m. local time, which is EST. Or if you're not local, that's 1300 Zulu, 1 p.m. GMT. A while back, we covered the Embracer Group buying up lots of games and trying to create the world's biggest retro collection. We weren't too too happy about it, I don't think. We we felt it was a bit super villain there, a bit kind of, what are, these, are they really doing? Were they in the Scandies? I can't remember yes. now. Yes, they yeah, were. They were they? Yeah. So this is the same Embracer Group that are now in hard times, laying off people and cutting back uh, on games, modern games that aren't successful, so... Um, that makes me wonder how volatile things are and how safe something like that is with a company like that rather than in some kind of charity ownership. Makes you wonder what the end game is because, um, <laughs> so just thought, as I said, that the end game is the last one that they buy before they fold. No, what is the end game is um, buying up so many so rapidly, spending a huge amount of money. Uh, and then to what mothball them how do you sustain that cost uh, you know are you creating a museum for people to go and look at them are you saying we're going to have it for five years and it's going to go up by x percent and then we're going to sell it mr bank manager that's why you should give us the loan to do this i don't know it's it, the, the, it, mm. to be fair the, the turnover they have though i mean they're massive the turnover they have probably means that the the retro they're buying isn't significant compared to their total turnover. They had loads and loads of studios under their belt, though. Oh, um, I see. Yeah, yeah, I forgot There must be a, a billion or more turnover a year there. Yeah. Doom on Bacteria. Will it run Doom? Well, apparently Bacteria will. Um, we're not going to run another Will It Run on Doom story because we've had quite a few of those lately. But this was tempting, thanks to Plum Creek, who submitted it. Uh, I don't think the frame rate is particularly good, but yes, bacteria will run doom. And if you want to find out more, go to our subreddit and follow the link. JJ Lone tells us that Cinemaware titles have been bought by Nordware. So maybe more remakes on the way. I've not looked into it at all. Cinemaware made some fantastic 16-bit titles. Um, I think they start, certainly started on the Amiga. Did they finish on the Amiga as well, or did they move to PC and drop the Amiga? Um, they were on the Macintosh. Things like King of, Ch King of Chicago were, was on the Mac first and then had a bit of a makeover when it came to the Amiga. Mm. Um, what was the first, though? Was it Defender, Defender of, of the Crown. Was it? Was there something? That, that was that? the that was the first Amiga game they did. On the Amiga, yeah. But they may well have done something before that. I don't know. <sighs> I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, I mean, classic games. Um some of them, I think, would translate well to VR. I mean, can you imagine playing Rocket Ranger in VR? Mm. That'd be fun. Wings in VR. Mm. That'd be fun. Um, um, the games yeah. were special. They, 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 as the name of the company implies, they were heavily cinematic themes to them. They wanted to give you a cinematic presentation of them. So maybe they can do something that would bring the magic back these days to, to compare to modern gaming. I, I don't know. And there have been remakes before, but the thing is, Cinemaware titles originally pushed your machine to the limit it felt like you were really yeah. seeing your machine do everything it can whereas remakes of their old games on a dvd running on a modern pc 
it can still be fun, but it sort of loses a bit of that magic when it's not pushing your system to the limit. Maybe that's just me. It's a bit like Seventh Guest. I mean, the Seventh Guest was great at the time because we'd never seen it before, and now it's not quite the same. Mm. Uh, Pre-FIMS, is that how you say it? Pre-FIMS, Bare Bones 64 has landed. Um, I think this was an empty C64 shell for a modern computer with a mechanical keyboard in it. Rings a bell. Yeah, we might have talked about it. It it, it certainly doesn't sound like something I've not heard about before, Mm. Um, but that's a Kickstarter, and they've they've finally started to land. So there's pictures of that in the subreddit. looks very nice. There's loads of different colours available. Uh, I'll be interested to see what people fit in it. It's Mm. not a full, normal keyboard, though, so there'll be some workarounds needed there. Yeah, so those are some of the um, news stories in brief. If you want to, uh, if you're feeling bored and you just need some retro news, head over to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Have a browse, submit stories you think we might be interested in, participate in the question of the week. And of course, if you really enjoy what we do, where do we go, Dave? We go to Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash. This week in retro. This week in retro. Any new or, patrons this week? Um, or patron.com. How would you pronounce it, Neil? Patreon. Patreon. Um, any new hack, ones? Is week? it hack? Yes, there are. Are some you, are you stalling for time while you look up the list? Would, would I stall for time? Yeah, I, I feel like you're stalling for time, Dave. Thank you very much to Ian and to Lee for joining as patrons, supporting us. Thank you very much. Is that two um, people or one person? Is that That's two people. That's Ian, not... You know Ian. Ian's been on the show. Ian Lee? Yes. Yes. But you said Ian and Lee. Oh, yeah. Ian Lee and Lee. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I normally just say the first name. I don't want to. <laughs> I normally just say the first name. So Ian and Lee or Ian Lee and Lee. Thank you, And guys. Ryan. No, Ryan. Ryan. Lee no, Ryan. Ryan. If you've become a patron, thank you very much for joining us. To, to Ian and Lee. Ian and Lee. Even if you're a bit of a console noob like me, you've probably still heard of Bowser. Who? Bowser. <laughs> Bowser. How do you pronounce it, Neil? Bowser. Is it Bowser? Yeah, Bowser. Yeah, okay. Bowser. yeah. He's some kind of turtle demon, and he doesn't like Mario. He first appeared in Super Mario Brothers game. Now, that's the one that came out on the NES, and it's not the first in the Mario series, but it's maybe the most iconic of them. It's the one that everybody seems to know. Um, you're jumping about the place, going from left to right, usually eating mushrooms and bouncing in cute things' heads and trying to get your princess's peach. <laughs> um, well, it turns out that Nintendo have their own enemy called Bowser, a guy called Gary Bowser, and he's not had a very good time of it at all. In fact, he's not a turtle demon. He's just a computer programmer in his 50s from Toronto in Canada. And thanks to a submission of a Guardian article from Christ of Why Don't You This Week, I've been learning all about him. The Guardian article is written about him almost a year after his release from prison. And yes, it does turn out that people do go to prison for software piracy, something I remember as a kid being threatened with by melodramatic fast ads in magazines. Federation Federation Against Software Theft? Fast. Gary's history is much like many of our own, tinkering with computers and electronics from an early age, fascinated by them. He, though, went on to run an internet cafe for LAN gaming and repairing hardware, and then about 15 years ago moved to the Dominican Republic and made contact with a group called Team Executor. That's how it happens, Dave. Internet cafes. It's a slippery slope from there. Executor spelt with an X. Because that's cool. Because they're not noobs. This is a for-profit group that produces devices to bypass copyright checks on Nintendo gear like the Switch. Now, he says he was only being paid a few hundred dollars for help on their websites. And in the middle of the pandemic... What was that noise? That was, oh. yeah, I'm not entirely sure I believe that. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> in the middle, that, that was, that, that was a, a plausibly deniable, okay. uh, legally acceptable way of saying he's lying without okay. saying he's lying. Okay. Chitty. Yes, Chinny Reckon. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, he was woken at 4am with rifles pointed at him. Um, US Acting Attorney General Brian C. Rabbit, 
um, called Bowser and his co-defendants leaders of a notorious international criminal group that reaped illegal profits for years by pirating video game technology of US companies. Now, he pled guilty and he was ordered to pay 15, sorry, $14.5 million. And he now, until he pays it off, will need to pay a quarter of his income after covering rent, etc., to Nintendo. Uh, and from what he says about his income, that won't happen. He says he chose to plead guilty rather than have to try and fight Nintendo's lawyers. And they were going after him for absurd amounts for each unit sold and how much lost business they had. Now, the Guardian article talks about the toll it's had on his health and how he wasn't able to get proper medical attention in prison. And he now walks with a cane and he's been couch surfing and trying to get money together to pay for physical therapy for chronic pain. Now, who's the president of Nintendo America? Doug Bowser, who's no relation to Gary or to King Bowser. So that's three Bowsers. Even if Gary's side of it is entirely true that he was only helping them out a bit, he can't have been unaware of what he was doing. I mean, it was a global piracy operation. Neil, what's your take on it? Well, let's get to the to the meat of this, the most important part of the story, which is what is Bowser? Now, um, I had to look this up, um, and I, I went to medium.com, where there's a story on it, and it says Bowser has elements of dragon, a faint history of ox, and some dashes of kappa. But the Cooper and Bowser are most accurately categorized as large land-dwelling branches of Testudines, testudines, which is Beautiful. which is the tortoise. Ah. So there you go. He is a, a, a tortoise. So I, I just wanted to clear that up uh, as the most important part of the story. Um, it seems like Gary ran more than a website. Come on. Um, I, I read the article. There's a quote here from Gary in the article. He says, "I started becoming a middleman in between the people doing the development work and the people actually owning the mod chips, playing the games." He says, I would get feedback from the testers and then I would send it to the developers. Uh, I can handle people and that's why I ended up getting more involved. So he's openly admitting there he got more involved. Um, he's not just running a website. He's managing people. He's facilitating testing. He's feeding back to the development team to help them to improve the product, a product designed to bypass copyright law. Piracy. It's black and white. But it doesn't sound like he was top of the food chain. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. He wasn't top of the food chain. Um, it doesn't sound like something worth destroying a guy's life over. Uh, it says he was even paying Nintendo $25 a month when he was in prison. Now, I know we have to be accountable for our actions, but it doesn't seem humane to me. He's done the time. You know, you do the crime, you do the time, let him get on with his second shot at life and hopefully do better for himself. Um but that's obviously falling on deaf ears at Nintendo. Yeah, I am. Um, on the one hand, what is, I mean, is it, could you make the argument that he's only doing the same as helping people use non-original inks on their printer? Is it is it kind of like that, these mod chips? What if someone wanted to make homebrew games for their console? Would they need to have his devices? I, I don't know. I, I I feel the whole thing has been rather heavy-handed. And it's clear that, at least to me, if, if he'd gone to court, he would not have come. Out, he would not have had the same outcome in terms of the amount of money owed and guilty and all the rest of it. And I think he said yes to it because he thought, do you know, it doesn't matter how much the the, the court says, although it'll still be the same outcome for me, twenty five percent of what I've got until the end of my days anyway. So I can see that. It, it, but I just don't... It, it, I feel that it, the guy at least started out like one of us. I could have seen myself um, maybe 25 years ago uh, getting involved in something like this in, in small ways and slowly over time doing a bit more. And he's ended up with his life ruined by it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not arguing that he's hasn't done anything wrong or anything like that. No. I'm just I'm just left confused as to how does that punishment facilitate any kind of rehabilitation? He is forever guilty, he is forever punished for the rest of his life, and so there is no incentive for him to perhaps even get a well-paid job. 
the incentive for him is to either hide any kind of income he gets because he's just mm. going to lose it all, or just not earn anything at all. Which it yeah. sounds like he's he's doing. That's what uh, he's doing. Yeah. Not necessarily intentionally. There's there's health issues there, but why bother if it's all going to be taken away from you? It's only going to push him deeper underground. I remember the the story we covered. It was Dominic Diamond before he got into Games Master, and Dominic Diamond was covering uh, the piracy in Scotland, and. I remember us talking about the, the the piracy adverts and the figures that they used to produce about lost revenue. They used to calculate the full price of every pirated game that they found, and they would say, we seized £4 million of software, and they didn't. And that's the kind of figures that it feels as if this guy's been charged with, and it's stuck. And it, it was always at the time... At no point in my life did I ever look at the figures they were quoting about lost revenue and piracy and think to myself, that's a real figure. It's, it was always ridiculous and overstated. They are absolutely making a scapegoat of him. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you if you found a pirate with 100 copies of Turrican 2, for example, well, if he doesn't sell them, he's just going to copy something else over the disc. It doesn't mean he's taken away 100 sales. It doesn't mean everyone who bought that copy of Turrican 2 would have gone to a shop and bought it anyway. It's just absolute madness. But, you know, there is enough logic there to put it in black and white and put it in front of a judge and say, there you go, and scare someone into, um, well, what could have been an even worse punishment, I guess. I don't know. I mean, the, the, the business itself, I can understand why Nintendo felt they had to crush it. Because if, yeah. if people could, if people could, could stop buying software for the Nintendos, they would. We saw what happened with the Atari STs and the Amigas. People had the pretty much had the option to buy software or not, and they didn't. Do you think they would have done it to him if his name was Mario? <laughs> <laughs> you would think that the, 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 the head of Nintendo in America has the same surname. You would think he would say, come on, that's enough. Just let the guy off. And that's what I would like. I'm sure Nintendo are watching this right now. So Mr. Mr. Nintendo, let the guy off, say, okay, enough's enough. He's been to prison. He's been in prison for over a year. We've just about ruined his life. Let him get his life back. Just say, no, we'll, we'll take our claws out of the guy and let him go on with things. That's enough. Show a bit of compassion. Have you got a hashtag for this campaign, Dave? Play more in 24 is the hashtag. <laughs> Free Gary. <laughs> Free Gary. Free Gary with every purchase. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, there we go. Time now for our community question of the week. So last week's question was all about Krusty the Mac. Krusty the Mac has had enough torture for a lifetime, but we've all had tech that made us suffer, and now it's time to even things out. What bit of tortuous tech are you going to punish, and what is your method of punishment? It's a little bit evil this week, and um, I have an inkling as to what piece of tech might be high on the list, but let's see, shall we? So have you taken, Dave, have you taken it out of contest mode? Drum roll, no, please. I thought you like to do that. You like you like to do that, don't you? Hang on, Duncan. Drum roll, please. Dave, take it out of contest mode. Oh, okay, hang on. Really Longer drum roll. That is a long drum roll. Do, 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 do. I, can I get trumpets as well? <laughs> You're a trumpet. Contest mode is being disabled, and our top answer, our top answer. School BBC Micros. Yeah, from Prefim. 10, star motor space 0. 20, star motor space 1. 30, go to 10. Kills the tape relay in the Beeb in no time. Was a popular high school and he's put in quotes, Jape, back in the day, which would incur the wrath of our computer studies teacher. On reflection, it was all rather stupid and no doubt expensive for the school to remedy. I'll shut up now. I love it, but you're not suffering. You're making someone else suffer using tech with that answer. Um, so I think a suitable punishment should be distributed to Prefim for all, all of the torture that he put his teachers through. Um, Antiques for Geeks says, PC load letter. <laughs> the bane of the HP LaserJet 4s in the labs at university, even when you had checked that you had sent the print job correctly. Not sure what punishment could be uh, meted out. The damn things were built like tanks in comparison to modern HP kit. So it probably caused more damage to the brickbats hurled at them. 
Instead, and in the public interest, maybe Neil could add a high-security printer rehab annex to the cave where laser jet designers can live out their lives, kept safe from menacing society, and reflect him on what they've done. LaserJet 4s, bomb-proof. LaserJet 5s were good as well. Um, in, a, in a very odd twist, when the LaserJet 4 did break down, which was normally it didn't break down, normally it just needed cleaning. Um, you know, all the rollers, it'd been going for so long, you would sometimes need to apply a bit of um, IPA or something to the rollers so that they would grip the paper again. They'd got so old and dry. But the printer maintenance guy who used to do that at a housing association I used to work at in, gosh, the year 2000, I think it was, 1990, maybe just before then, also happened to be a, a CRT television repair tech in a previous life. So when I got my first arcade, He's the man who came and recapped my arcade. The printer guy recapped the um, the CRT, and it looked gorgeous. So <laughs> there you go. I met him over a LaserJet 4. It reminds me of Office Space. Yeah. Smashing up a printer. Yep. <laughs> um, go Brixton on, Rifles. Brixton Rifles? What's Brixton? Is Brixton Rifles a song? Uh, you're thinking of film? Eaton Rifles. Ah. Paul Weller, yeah. I used to work in a game station. Hope you didn't get fired. Oh, that was game. That's not the same thing. Yeah. You used to work in a game station in the early to mid-2000s. Some of our regular customers appeared to have a slight aversion to maintaining personal hygiene. And one of the crustier, good word, good word to get in, uh, folk once brought in his original Xbox to trade. We were never allowed to refuse a trade-in, but this console was filthier than anything I've ever seen in a Trash to Treasure Ooh. video. Well, good thing to get in. <laughs> and the smell it emitted when the fans kicked in during testing can never be forgotten. It worked, though, so we had to take it and give the man his credit. Oof. None of us in the store wanted the job of cleaning it up, nor could we bring it upon ourselves to sell it to some poor, unsuspecting soul. So we accidentally knocked it off the counter, presuming this would be enough to develop a fault so that we could write it off. But it turns out that original Xbox model didn't just look like a tank. It was built like one too. The poor thing had to endure many, many more unfortunate <laughs> accidents before we could finally remove it from our stock. It pains me to think of the awful life that poor thing had to lead. On the upside, if you were to ever were to accidentally push your original Xbox out of an upstairs window, I can say with some authority, it should work just work fine. <laughs> Krusty the Mac has some competition. Yeah, from, uh, that, that, I, I can understand that one. The manager of that game station should have said, write that off, get it in the bin, get out my yeah. shop. Um, so I was expecting the top three all to be printers. I'm glad there was one printer in there. But we've got a nice mixture of HP laptop from Lord Borak, Pajacos, talking about printers. Uh, N64. Oh, <laughs> Jeff Mendoza's uh, answer was good. Talks about um, putting a bowl of ice and a fan next to an N64 to cool it down um, and then finding a puddle of water condensing under the N64. <laughs> I don't remember my N64 overheating, but I guess it depends where you live. You know, if you live in a hot country, it's passively cooled. Um, so thank you to everyone who participated. Lots of long answers this week. I like that. Lots of well-thought-out long answers. So thank you. If you'd like to participate, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. And that brings us to the last part of the show, which is our question of the week this week for you to participate in. It's a short one. It follows on from the Windows 311 on a German train, uh, Bill Gates on a train. What example of old tech have you seen in use Working or failing in modern life. We're talking cash machines, trains, CNC machines, um, life support machines, uh, anything. Doesn't count if you visit the cave. Doesn't count if you visit the cave. No, this is old tech being used in a current capacity in modern life. What have you spotted? Um, more than likely you've spotted it because it's broken. Maybe a blue screen of death somewhere, an airport terminal or something like that. Do come and share your stories with us at the subreddit. And um, if you haven't already, please consider taking a moment to subscribe if you watch us on YouTube or go to youtube.com forward slash This Week in Retro and hit subscribe because we are tantalizingly close to, um, well, nearly 9,000 subs, aren't we? We're edging closer and then it's the big 10. So we'd love to continue to grow the show. 
How the other way you can help us grow the show is by, apart from telling people about it, it's by putting a review on your podcast platform of choice. Please do it. Please put a review in. It's the only way that podcasts get recommended to people that have not heard of us. And that would please us immensely if we could see your reviews. Okay. We hope you enjoyed the show. Go about your Saturday, assuming you're listening on Saturday. Have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget the Amigathon over on Twitch. Check out the the link because that will likely be live right now. Go and take part. Watch watch John, the old daddy of the show. Go and watch John. And we will see you in Discord. We will see you on Twitter. We will see you in the comments section. And take care. We will see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Oh, with a guest next week. It's a HP LaserJet full printer. (laughs) No, it's the five. It's number five. Oh, it's the five. Yeah. They're waving. I'm waving too. (laughs) Bye-bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.